Welcome to In That Case. My name's Joel Townsend and this is my podcast about important pieces of public interest litigation which have shaped Australian life. You can find past episodes on the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Townsend Joel C. Those of you who have been following along will know that there's been quite a gap between episodes. Um, That's because I've been working hard on a couple of episodes that are close to being ready but not quite ready to drop. And I've also been teeing up some great conversations with guests uh, who I hope to feature in future episodes. I um, would welcome any comments you have, welcome ratings on iTunes, Certainly would welcome any ideas you have for future episodes, so please be in touch. I wanted to talk today about the case of Ella Ingram. Now this full disclosure is a case that was run by some of my colleagues at Victoria Legal Aid. It's a case about a discrimination claim. A discrimination claim made by Ella Ingram, who, when she was in year 11, was eagerly anticipating a trip to New York with some of her classmates. But she became quite unwell. She became severely depressed, in fact, and as a consequence, on doctor's orders, she cancelled her involvement in the New York trip. And she sought to make a claim on her QBE travel insurance policy. But that was refused. And it was refused on the basis that there was no cover where a claim arose from mental illness. And here it was very clear that Ella's cancellation of her trip arose directly from her mental illness. So Ella went ahead and made a discrimination claim. And she relied on the Equal Opportunity Act in Victoria, which provides that a person engages in direct discrimination where they treat another person unfavourably because that other person has a specified attribute. And one of the specified attributes is disability, which includes mental illness, and one of the activities in the context of which discrimination is prohibited is the provision of services, which includes the provision of travel insurance. So on that basis, Ella would seem to have a pretty strong claim, but QBE relied on a specific exemption for insurers in the Equal Opportunity Act. And that special exemption provides that discrimination is permitted where it's based on actuarial or statistical data on which it's reasonable for the insurer to rely. And the insurer also relied on an exemption uh, in the Equal Opportunity Act, uh, which effectively allowed QBE to discriminate where it would cause unjustifiable hardship for QBE not to engage in the discrimination. So that was the basis on which QBE resisted the claim. But it was a matter of, as we'll hear, some years between when Ella 
first made her claim and when the matter finally ended up at VCAT for hearing. And at that hearing, there were several days of argument about these exemptions. And the first exemption uh, was not successfully relied on by QBE, and that was essentially because there was really no evidence of any statistical or actuarial data being relied on by QBE at the time they inserted the clause in the policy which prohibited claims where uh, they were based on mental illness. That is, the clause which they relied on to deny Ella's claim uh, resulting from the cancellation of her trip didn't have its foundation in any analysis of statistical data which was done by the insurer at the time they put the clause in. So QBE tried to argue that the tribunal could infer that QBE must have taken into account data available at the time and it was unlikely that QBE would have been irrational and ignored relevant data uh, when it inserted that clause into its policy. But the tribunal rejected that argument and said there could be any number of reasons why that provision excluding coverage for people with mental illness might have been included and the tribunal couldn't necessarily infer that the clause had been inserted because of some rigorous statistical analysis when QBE couldn't provide any evidence that they'd done such an analysis at the time. The uh, second exemption that QBE relied on, the unjustifiable hardship exemption, was also rejected by the tribunal as a basis for refusing Ella Ingram's claim. QBE argued that it would be an unjustifiable hardship to cover people with a mental illness because it would make the business unprofitable. And there was ample evidence from experts about their analyses of statistical data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and um, in substance QBE argued that that data showed that a very high percentage of people experiencing mental illness would make a claim uh, against a travel insurance policy like Ella Ingram's and the tribunal didn't accept that it had established that the rate was so high that its business would be unprofitable and that therefore it suffered unjustifiable hardship if it were forced to cover people uh, who had a mental illness. So the upshot of all of that was that uh, Ella Ingram won her claim. She uh, got compensation. But as I discussed with her, uh, the case has not necessarily resolved the question of discrimination against people with mental illness by insurers. When I was I was in year eleven, and I was it was two thousand and eleven. Um, we, as a, a media class at my school, we um, organised a trip to New York, a media sort of trip, and um, you know we had to fork out couple of thousand dollars and so talked with my mum about it and she's like yeah go for it so um I had a part-time job at the time 
and so I worked uh, at a bakery and then I was doing babysitting and saved up for that. My parent, my mum helped me out <clears throat> quite a bit with that, um, the, fina- the financial sort of side of things. Um, and then, uh, so that trip was booked for April of 2012 and um, in January I got back from a trip um, with my family and I just I just didn't feel right and I didn't want to see my friends. It was summer, I didn't want to go out. Um, I stayed in my room for about three days and my mum my mum came upstairs and she she said, Is everything okay? And I just I just broke down and I said, No, everything's not okay. I don't I didn't know what was wrong. And I said to her that I just felt really disconnected from everyone. Uh, I didn't know what was going you know, didn't know what was happening and she said, um, you know, maybe we should go and see someone um, you know, you, you might have depression. So then I went um, and I ended up seeing a psychiatrist and, yeah, on my second day of year 12, he, he diagnosed me with um, major depression. Um, so that was a really scary thing for me. Um, I was 17 at the time and I'd, I'd heard of depression and I'd heard of anxiety and, you know, knew what mental illness, well, I thought I knew what mental illness was. Um, but yeah, experiencing it firsthand was definitely different. Um, and so yeah, so tried some medications, and then it just, it just, it was like a snowball. Just my feelings just became so overwhelming. And then um, yeah, one particular day, I just had, I guess, a bit of a breakdown, and I just knew that I, you know, I had to, I had to go to hospital pretty much. Um, and so I was there for two weeks and that's when my doctor sort of said to me, you know, you've got this trip coming up in April. I think, you know, we need to talk about um, you not going. And that was really hard for me to hear. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't end up going and I was really stressed about it um, because, you know, I'd saved up a lot of money and all that and I was really stressed about the money and my mum said to me you have a tra- you have travel insurance so it's all going to be okay so I said oh, okay that's all right and then um yeah we we lodged a claim and we got knocked back straight away um QBE was the insurer and they said that um it just pretty much no straight away and then uh I think my mum called up and said you know how can we um, review this and they said oh you can I think you can I don't know I think my mum sort of went through QBE's um, dispute system and yeah we got a letter saying that um, again no they have um, by law they are allowed to I guess they're legally allowed to discriminate against me because uh, they have a blanket clause for mental illness and so then we looked at the the uh, PDS, the product description, is that what it's called? Product disclosure statement. Dis- yeah, I that's think. it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we had a look at that, and then yeah, it said that um, anything from mild anxiety all the way through to schizophrenia and anything in between, um, if that was the reason for claiming it, then they could knock you back. Yeah, my mum rang and they said, oh, there is nothing you can do about it. And my mum said, oh, okay. And the woman took down her name and number. And then a few weeks later, she got a call from someone saying, actually, you might have something here. So we went through them and then that was a couple of years going through them. And then um, they gave the case to Vic Legal Aid. And then I think I was with 
um, Victoria Legal Aid for about a year and a half, maybe two years, and then yeah, we ended up getting a a date at the tribunal, and yeah, had three days there and waited for the decision, and in December of two thousand and fifteen, got the decision, and I was successful, and I won. <laughs> When you were first refused or when you went through that process of a succession of refusals from QBE, do you remember anything about what you understood in terms of your rights to freedom from discrimination? Um, I I don't know if I knew about my rights. I just knew that it felt wrong. And so I I guess I always wanted to challenge that. I didn't know if I could. Um... But yeah, I didn't. I didn't know about any rights that I had, and then we started to look into it. And you know, even when we were talking to the lawyers at the start, they they didn't even really know where this was going to go. I guess. And so, um, at that point, you didn't have any sense that this might be significant, that it might be a test case, that it might. Um, clarify the law to some degree you're just looking for compensation for your for the money you lost on this school trip yeah the start at the start I definitely was um I I felt terrible that I'd lost the money so I that's that was my reason for wanting to to challenge it but also as I started to you know this was the first time that I had depression and um it was my first experience I guess of discrimination um, because of my mental illness. I wasn't even aware that it was such a big issue. And um, I think when we got, I think when we started talking to lawyers and they said, oh, you know, you might have something here. Still, even then, it wasn't it wasn't um, apparent to me that this would become something as, you know, it did something as big as it, what it did get. People, yeah, people started to tell me that this was, you know, this could be something big and no one had ever really gotten as far as I was going or what I was aiming to get to, which was the tribunal. And then I started hearing about other people's situations similar to mine and they just did not have the, um, I guess, the strength or the resources to get as far as I did. So then I felt like I was in a fantastic position to take it as far as I could. To what extent did you get into the technical detail? I mean, there's, there are these specific exemptions that QB relied on, one of which is um, particular to insurers, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> that's highly technical. To what extent did you get into the nuts and bolts of the technical detail? Did that interest you at all? Um, not at the time I was, it was a really emotional sort of time for me. So I, whenever I met with the lawyers, I took, I brought my mum. Um, and then they, the lawyers, you know, they explained things to me and I would ask questions if I didn't understand it. And I made sure that I got sort of the gist of what was happening. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't too interested in, in, yeah, I guess the nuts and bolts of it. On the drive home, I would ask my mum, you know, what what did they mean when they said that? So she would sort of have to break it down for me and I guess um, 
yeah, I got them to I got them to repeat things in I guess layman's terms and um yeah, they were they were really patient with me. That was that was it was really good because their patience it made me feel so much better and it wasn't as scary. And if they if they explained things um if they, you know, when they explained things to me, it just made me feel better about what I was about to do, I guess. It wasn't as scary. It wasn't scary hearing all the jargon. And as I read the judgment, there wasn't much movement from QBE as um, you approach the hearing. So often what happens in anti-discrimination matters is these matters settle before they get to hearing. Was, were there attempts to settle? And if so, did you get the sense that there was any movement from QBE or did they simply not engage? Um, they they uh, didn't turn up to mediation a few times. Um, they came to me with a, um, I guess, a settlement um, which was just the amount of the money that they owed me in the first place. And when they came to me with that amount, I think it had been two or three years down the track. So I just felt that was, uh, yeah, just so unfair and just a big waste of my time. And by then it had started to um, gain some traction and um, I was excited about the prospect of what this could mean for other people. So, um, yeah, by then it wasn't it wasn't about the money that I could get back, it was about, um, I guess, making them, uh, making them own up to what they did and to change their, to, I wanted to change their policies. That was the sort of the end game. But um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted them to, yeah, own up to what they did, I guess. So the matter proceeded towards hearing and you provided written statements and you spent lots of time in conferences with lawyers and then mm-hmm. you ended up at the tribunal for, I think it was a three or four day hearing. Yep. So um, can you talk a little about what that was like coming into the hearing and then um, whether you were there for the whole time and if you were, um, what your general sense was about um, the hearing as it unfolded? Um. <coughs> I was, I was quite terrified. <laughs> I was, you know, I watched Law and Order and all that, so I was <laughs> half expecting that. But uh, my lawyers sort of told me what it was going to be. You know, they explained what the I was. I was terrified of what the room was going to look like. You know, the um, the bowing terrified me. How you have to bow to the member and when you walk in and out of the room. So I was very conscious of doing that every time I went in. Um, so yeah, I was really, really nervous, but again, they were really patient. My lawyers were really patient with me um, and explained every little question that I had. Um, and so yeah, so I went the first day. I went all the days actually, but the first day I was quite, I was really nervous. Um, that was one of the scariest things for me at the time, like that was terrifying. And so was that done 
by the tendering of your statement? Did you simply adopt that statement? Yeah. And then was there any cross-examination from the lawyers for QBE? Yeah, um, they asked me a few questions and my lawyers had said to me just don't overthink anything. I mean, that's better said than done. Um, (laughs) um, So every, every question they asked, I was thinking what were they trying, you know, were they trying to get me to slip up? And I think there was one, there was one instance where, uh, the QBE lawyer asked me something and I I said that, you know, that I, I said, I think I said in my statement that I had paid, you know, a certain amount of money. And then when he asked me, I said a different amount. And then he said, oh, well, you said here in your statement that it's this amount. Or it was something like that. And then I, 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 I think shortly after the cross-examination finished and I just left the room and I burst into tears and I thought that I'd ruined the whole entire case because of that one little thing and again my lawyers um came up to me and (laughs) I didn't know what they were thinking but they just said you know it's all fine it's okay um so yeah that was that was terrifying it was also really scary because my mum had to give her um evidence separate to me and she had been such a big support system so for to not have her in the room and to not be able to look at her was um yeah, it was a bit, I don't know, disconcerting, I guess, and, yeah. So she was, um, she wasn't allowed in the hearing room when you were giving your evidence, but, no. but you were allowed in the hearing room when she was giving hers? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I was allowed, but I wasn't there because I was in tears. Okay. <laughs> so right. she went in after me. Okay. The poor thing, she walked past me, I'm, I'm, you know, crying, and she just had to walk in, she saw me, and her eyes were just, you know, wide, and... <laughs> She had to go give her evidence. Mine took, I think, maybe like five to ten minutes. Hers was like two minutes. They asked her maybe one or two questions and they let her go. There there were facts, there was evidence, but it was evidence from actuaries who'd done analysis of statistical data and I imagine that's pretty dry and then you compound that with some legal argument and that's pretty dry and so it's a hearing that you've got a huge personal and, as you said, emotional stake in and it's this tinder-dry experience <laughs> of a contest of legal argument and an expert. Did it feel dull? Um, it did, but it also didn't. I mean, uh, it was... It was it was really interesting for me, I guess. As, I, as you said, I had such emotional and... Um, you know, I was attached to this case, obviously. Um, and so I was listening. I was trying to follow, couldn't. Um, so every break I'd ask the lawyers, you know, what happened there? And they'd say to me, oh, you know, um, X, Y, Z. QBE said, well, first of all, There was no discrimination at the time Ella bought the policy because she wasn't suffering mental illness at the time she bought the policy. Uh, So that was a fairly quickly dispatched argument because it's clear that if if there's a future impairment that you're going to suffer, that that discrimination on the basis of some future impairment is also prohibited. Mm -hmm. But then there are a couple of other um, defences, and one was that they had 
actuarial or statistical data that they're entitled to rely on mm-hmm. um, in excluding people with mental illness from coverage under their policies. And the other was that they um, would suffer unreasonable hardship. And as to the first of those the actuarial data, what became clear in the course of the hearing is that there was no actuarial or statistical data that they'd compiled mm. at the time they created this exclusion from the policy. This is a very dry and technical question, but I imagine that it would have been quite infuriating to hear that. <laughs> Did yeah. that frustrate you to hear that they'd not they'd not done their homework when they created this exemption? Yeah, it really frustrated me, but it wasn't surprising at all. They didn't turn up to mediation. They... It, um, came out that they had sent a letter, QBE had sent a letter to their lawyers that they had hired the, uh, a couple of days before the hearing started, uh, you know, paraphrasing, um, you probably won't have to go down to Melbourne to attend this hearing um, because it'll, you know, yeah, pretty much you, do, you probably won't have to go. She'll, I took it as she won't go through with it kind of thing. So, yeah, it was it was really frustrating to hear that they hadn't done their homework, but that was the whole theme throughout the trial was that they hadn't done their homework. Um, they were constantly looking for, for their papers. Um, um, and I think um, that... So when, so when, um, when we got the, I guess, not the first... The first no from QBE was just straight up but then when my mum went through the dispute system with QBE we got this letter saying um, you know that they have actuarial data that they rely on to make these um, make these decisions um, throughout the you know the years that we were fighting well, fighting with them I guess um, we kept asking for this data and they said no they they don't have to give it they don't have to give it then when it came to the day, it, it just it seemed like they never even had it in the first place and that was what was frustrating was that was you know they they never had it in the first place where it seemed like they never had it in the first place and yeah they, it was frustrating I guess and so then after the hearing so the hearing was October I think yeah. and and then the, the decision was December, so relatively quickly yes. you get the judgment. Did you have the sense when the hearing came to an end that you were in a strong position? Um, I would like to... I've, I think I was quietly confident. Um, I, as I said, I went to all um, all three days of the, of the hearing and I tried to keep up with it as best as I could and I asked my lawyers lots of questions and... Even, I, th- I think at the end I asked my lawyers, you know, what do you think the result will be? But even before I asked that question, I felt like I was in a position to, to win this whole thing. Um, just as I said, it was, it was obvious to me that they hadn't done their homework, that they couldn't answer the question properly, um... So, yeah, that's why I guess it felt like um, I was in a position to win. And then, yeah, I talked to my lawyers and they said, oh, look, we don't 
we don't want to get your hopes up. You know, we don't want to, I guess, jinx it or anything like that either. So, but they, I think they said, you know, we're, we're quietly confident that this will have a positive outcome. Um, and yeah, they, they kept reiterating to me that the amount of money that I would be compensated um, wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be an enormous amount. And I said to them, I said to them, I don't know how many times, I don't, I don't care. I just want, I want the win. I don't care about the money. I want, I want the win. And so you got your, um, the cost of your, your cancelled trip paid out and then you got a little bit of um, compensation. So I think it was around $15,000 yeah. um, for um, the hardship you'd suffered as a result of their discrimination. So one of the things that the tribunal did was it said um, that it wouldn't make a declaration that their mm. conduct was unlawful and it said because we wouldn't want to give the impression that this was a test case and applied yeah. to all insurers. And so so it was a win and it pointed to a larger issue, but it's not an issue that even to this day is fully resolved, yeah. the question of um, the exclusion of people with mental illness from uh, insurance contracts. Yeah. And so is that an issue that you've remained engaged with in the time since? Yeah, yeah, I've done... Um you know, a bit of work with uh, Beyond Blue since then. Um, they've kept me in the loop with their, I guess, progress with the whole issue. Um, and, you know, every, I think it was last year, uh, I got a call from Beyond Blue saying, oh, have you heard that QBE have changed their practice finally? They've changed their, um, not their practice, their, what's it called? Policies. Policies, sorry. Yes mind blank um they've changed their policies um and so yeah i sort of keep up to date with that and uh even yesterday i get every sort of few months i get a message from someone you know it's a complete stranger on facebook or twitter or whatever it may be saying um you know i got one yesterday and it said are you the ella ingram that took the insurance company to vcat if so congratulations um I'm using your case as a precedence for my, you know, my case or um, my claim, I think it was. You continue to experience issues with men your mental health? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, oh, it's always a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I've been, you know, on and off medication um um you know i still keep in contact with my doctor i mean the past t sort of 12 months have been really good for me but i know that in the back of i guess in the back of my mind is that um i may you know i may become unwell again and that's just something that i um i'll have to deal with if it does happen um yeah and even i mean even from when I first got diagnosed up until now, it's just been up and down, up and down. And um, the sort of the lowest point in between then, apart from when I first um, got diagnosed, was the court case. I was so stressed and I was I was in hospital uh, for that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always, I guess going to be some sort of an issue for me depends on how big of an issue it is on the day. <laughs>
And so what comes through as you talk about this is, you know, it's kind of a sense of pride, a sense that this was something you're passionate about and you pursued, but at the same time, one of the consequences of running the case was created stress um, and that led to some problems in terms of your mental health. And so, mm. you know, what are we um, two and a half years on now from when the, or two and a bit years on from mm. when the judgment was rendered? Do you do you think on this now as um, highlight as a um, uh, as, as something which just feels like a huge stressor that you're glad to have behind you? <laughs> a combination of all those. of the above. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely a highlight. Um, I was I was really proud of what I what I did, I guess, and um, but at the same time, it was yeah, as you said, it was completely stressful, and I'm glad that that part of it's over. But the I guess you know, as I said, I'm still getting messages, so I'm still reaping the benefits of of what I did. The whole media sort of side of it, that was a big stressor, I think. Um, not only the whole court case and going to going to VCAT, that was a whole different sort of stress, but the whole media sort of stress, that was something else. And that was what we talked about that a lot with um, my lawyers was um, what that impact was going to have on me at the time. And... Um, yeah, it was it was a big impact, and it it it, um, it took its strain on me um, and my my mental health at the time. But I had great support, um, you know, from my lawyers, but also from from my family. And um, so, yeah, it it was yeah, it was a highlight. I would say it was more of a highlight than a stress. So it was a New York trip, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So is that still on the list of places to visit? It w yeah, it is. We, um, there was, I think there was a bit of a miscommunication um, when when we won. Well, when I won the the case, um, I think you know I said to said to someone in the media that uh, I'd you know I'd love to use the money to take my mum to New York and then all of a sudden everyone's messaging me saying oh when are you going to New York that's great so I haven't been but it's still in the horizon on the horizon um I'd love to take my mum um but yeah I still I still haven't haven't gone there yet do you find that you read the fine print of things more or oh yeah oh yeah. definitely definitely <laughs> um I it was funny I went in 2000 and what, what year are we in now? 2018. 2018. So 2016, I had a trip to Europe planned and um, I was going for, I don't know, it was going to be between three and six months. And uh, three days, three or four days before I was uh, due to fly out, I broke my leg. So I made a claim. Um, I wasn't with QBE, but I made a claim with a different insurance company. Even then it was a struggle to get, get my money back. Um, they... They wanted to know, you know, whether I had a history of, I don't know, brittle bones, I guess. Um, so even that was that was a whole different experience. Um, but, yeah, it was still a struggle. Having said that, though, it was much easier than the, you know, however many years I spent uh, trying to get to VCAT. 
Um, but yeah, I do read the, the fine print differently. I recently just went to, I just went to Japan as well, and um, um, you know, one of my friends was talking about whether to go to get travel insurance, and I said, "Are you serious? <laughs> you know what I went through. Come on, <laughs> gotta get it." I think I talked about it at the time that it just highlighted the issue that they seem to have in the first place about their perception of mental illness and the public's perception. Um, so, yeah, it, w- it was just telling, I think. Their, their attitude towards the whole case was um, a reflection of their policies, I guess, and vice versa. Great to be able to talk to Ella Ingram about her involvement in her experience of running this really interesting piece of public interest litigation. Please, once again, uh, follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Have a look at the website www.inthatcasepodcast.com and follow me on Twitter at at Townsend Joel C. I do, as I said at the outset, have a number of other episodes in the pipeline and I'm hoping that I'll be able to get them to you uh, fairly quickly uh, and I look forward to joining you on the next episode of In That Case. <laughs>